Hey, what up, commute listeners? It's Dave. No new episode this week, but we'll be back and better than ever next week with an all-new episode of the show. This week, it's a replay of episode 45, where we discuss the most popular and wealthy kid in America, Ryan Kaji, the unregulated and fascinating market for breast milk, and it's there when you need it, the Turkey Talk Line. Call it any time for those questions you have about cooking the holiday bird. listening to commute the podcast congratulations you'll be smarter when you get there what up welcome into commute the podcast i'm dave and i'm jay and we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting and we're betting that you might just find them interesting too we can promise you this you'll be smarter when you get there on this edition of Commute, Ryan Kaji is just like any other 10-year-old boy in many ways. He likes toys, riding bikes, and watching cartoons. But where he and the average 10-year-old differ is when we look at their bank accounts. Ryan made over $30 million last year. We're all guilty of making strange purchases online, but... In the world of internet shopping, there is one commodity that, while in pretty high demand, is sold in a nearly completely unregulated market. We analyze the liquid gold rush, a black market for breast milk. Every year around the holidays, millions of Americans stress about the same thing. How in the world do you actually cook a turkey? Well, you're in luck. The Turkey Talk Line is here for you. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Okay, Jay, uh, you have three kids. How how old are your twins? They are going to be four in about two months. Okay, so coming up on, on the big four. So how much responsibility would you feel comfortable giving them what what level of responsibility like are they capable of complex decision making yet like would you trust them to drive you to the hospital if something were to happen to you uh no absolutely not in fact i get a little worried if there's about like five minutes of silence in our home (laughs) well my son's two so i agree with you there and uh, he would probably sacrifice me to lions right now if it meant that he got to eat ice cream for breakfast but It's not hard to find instances in human history where children were actually running the show. We've got Fu Lin, the Shangxi emperor, who became the third emperor of a Chinese dynasty in 1643 at the age of five. We've got the Egyptian (laughs) pharaoh Tutankhamun, known... known Stop you right there. I'm a history teacher. I can't let it go. It's Tutankhamun. Tutankhamun. Okay, let me start over. We've got the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun. <laughs> I knew you were going to do it wrong again. We've got the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun, known to simpletons like you, Jay, as King Tut, who ruled Egypt in the 14th century BC when he was around nine or ten. And of course, we've got Mary, Queen of the Scots who inherited the throne of Scotland in 1542 at the ripe age of six days. 
But when it comes to the internet, Jay, we are smack dab in the middle of a time where children do indeed rule. Jay, 10-year-old Ryan Kaji has been referred to as the most popular and most wealthy kid in the world. I first discovered Ryan walking down the toy aisle at Target with my son. As we passed rows and rows of Nerf guns, my eyes locked onto something with strange branding that sure looked like a Nerf gun, but Jay, this was different. This was a Ryan's World Nerf gun-styled toy. So today we answer this question, who in the heck is Ryan Kaji, and what can we take away from his massive fame at such a young age? At just 10 years old, roughly three to four years away from his first peach fuzz mustache, Ryan Kaji's YouTube videos have been viewed roughly 50 billion times. (laughs) The highest paid YouTube star now for three consecutive years, collecting nearly $30 million last year, according to Forbes, Ryan's name and or likeness is on over 1,600 products in over 30 countries. Everything from pajamas to toothpaste. If it exists, there's probably a Ryan version of it. He has his own shows on Nick Jr., Amazon Kids Plus, and was even featured as a balloon in the recent Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Now, how did this happen so quickly for someone so young? Well, Jay, almost every industry insider agrees that a big part of Ryan's fame was timing. In 2015, when Ryan was just three and a half years old, he asked his parents if he could be on YouTube like the other kids he knew. His parents agreed to let him make videos. But they also saw a bit of an opportunity, having studied YouTube algorithms while in college. You see, Jay, 2015 was a year marked by a couple of specific things. A rise in technology targeted at kid-friendly usage and a rise in something known as unboxing, which is exactly what it sounds like. Videos of people opening things and then reacting. And Ryan J. was very good at unboxing. The video channel Ryan's Toys Review was soon born. And by 2016, the videos of Ryan opening and reacting to toys had become so popular that Ryan's parents both quit their full-time jobs to spend more time on the creation of more Ryan-centric content. And we all know how these stories go from here, right? The family was quickly approached by merchandisers and executives with big checkbooks like Chris Williams, a former Disney exec, who correctly predicted that this type of content was going to be really big business. But Jay, while Ryan and his family now have more money than they know what to do with, this sudden rise in kidfluencers, internet influencers who are kids, quickly gets messy. Child development experts, media watchdogs, and even government officials have started to raise concerns in recent years about the dangers of child exploitation in this industry. Studies have shown that children can easily form unhealthy relationships with the child entertainers that they constantly consume. They're dealing with a developing brain that is figuring out the world, says Dr. Michael Rich, a pediatrician and the director of the Boston Children's Hospital Digital Wellness Lab. And if one of the very powerful inputs into that developing brain is, look at how happy Ryan is with his toy, of course they're going to say, I want that. So Jay, as we examine Ryan and his family's efforts to grow their business around his image and likeness, we're left with really two ways to look at this. One is that this kind of business could be considered a strange form of child abuse. 
Has the family simply turned their son into a cartoon character, literally and figuratively, to get rich? Or was it simply dumb luck? Did they stumble into a world at the exact right moment where their son is just charismatic enough to earn money for letting people watch him open his birthday gifts? This kind of reminds me of all these child stars that we sort of know of now that kind of grew up and... They were really popular in the 90s, like Macaulay Culkin comes to mind and, uh, you know, Lindsay Lohan and like some of these types of people who maybe kind of have it together now, but like went through some really rough stuff. And when you look at interviews with these people, it, it always kind of comes back to that same same thing. It's like, man, like my I was just in a different place than every other kid in the world. And it just caught up to me at some point. And Jay, you bring up Macaulay Culkin, and he has had his fair share of uh, issues through the years, ever since uh, his turn as Kevin McAllister in Home Alone. But he did form a band called the Pizza Underground, where uh, he and some guys would, would parody songs by the Velvet Underground, but all of the songs would be pizza themed. So I think he turned out okay. So Dave, uh, you know, we live in a generation where people buy a lot of things online, and so I know you're a part of that. Uh, and uh, in all the online purchases you made, can you think of an instance where you ordered something and maybe it wasn't quite what you expected? I'm sure I have a lot of these situations if I, if I had a, a few minutes to sit here and think about it. But the one that comes to mind immediately is and it's strange enough that I ordered this item online. This is the kind of thing you just run down to literally any store and buy in your hometown. But when I bought my first house, I needed a rake. And so instead of buying one, I ordered one online. And so when the rake showed up, it was in a huge box, first of all. And it's a children's rake. <laughs> it was unusable. A, a picture, though... <laughs> A picture, though, that that's what you still use. Like, you just, uh, you, every so year you're like, oh, I'll, I'll circle back. <laughs> yeah, I'll circle yard. back next year and grab a real rake. The internet has really changed the way we buy and sell, but even past just the general idea of buying from a company, uh, there's an entire underground of goods sold every day on sites like Facebook, which have thousands of buy-sell trade groups. But I became interested in a subset of this underworld recently after a conversation you and I had on this podcast about the black market of breast milk. And I knew about this black market already because I asked my wife about it when she was breastfeeding our twin sons about three years ago uh, when we had a conversation about it. But what I didn't understand is how deep the underground market truly goes. But even more fascinating is how unregulated it truly is. Now, people sell their breast milk online for a number of different reasons. Uh, many women who are currently weaning their child may choose to keep pumping to make extra money. Some may be cleaning out their freezer and looking to make a few bucks on the side. And some may be in a position where they just produce more than they need and they're looking to rid themselves of the excess. And in the same way, motivations for the buyers varies across the board. Some are unable to breastfeed their own children for a number of different reasons, but still want to provide their own children with breast milk. Uh, some parents who adopt children at a young age may choose to purchase breast milk if they're not currently producing milk. But one of the strangest consumer bases, though, of the breast milk market are bodybuilders looking to get an edge. <laughs> yes, Dave, Why there am I is not surprised fact, by that? <laughs> 
there is in fact an entire underworld of hardcore bodybuilders who purchase breast milk to supplement their nutrition plans because they believe it increases their muscle mass. As you would expect, there is literally no scientific research that proves that there is any merit to this, but the market booms nonetheless. The organization of this market is varied from websites like onlythebreast.com that attempts to connect buyers (laughs) and sellers to various Facebook groups that connect the market together to just straight up postings on buy-sell trade forums. And calculating the price is pretty tricky here because there really isn't a standard. It's just sort of worth whatever people are willing to pay for it. But the market average seems to be around a dollar an ounce, which can really add up fast. Some more detailed postings request that sellers keep a strict diet of only certain types of foods as well. Uh, But the dark side of this trade is that this market is nearly completely unregulated by any government institution. And in theory, this can lead to parents being exposed to potentially purchasing breast milk that is expired or even dangerous. Uh, Certain illnesses and bacterial infections can be passed through breast milk, such as salmonella or HIV. Uh, According to Business Insider, uh, in a 2015 study, researchers ordered milk from an anonymous online market. They tested the contents of each sample and discovered that one in every 10 samples was contaminated with cow's milk and by a significant amount too. And the contaminated samples contained about 10% cow's milk. And that's a lot more than a few drops. Moreover, a 2013 report found that 74% of milk from online markets contained harmful bacteria, which probably came from poor collection, storage, or shipping. And tort laws on liability could be used to sue for monetary compensation in this sort of scenario. But the issue with that is just sort of the issue with liability laws in general. It's that the accuser would have to prove that the milk is defective and that the defective milk caused the issue. And that's a lot to prove by the letter of the law. But since you can't really just produce this product like you do any other product, there isn't really a way to officially organize a breast milk company. So as it stands right now, selling breast milk is not illegal and it seems to really be thriving, but the unregulated nature of it makes it pretty tricky to navigate. More regulations are probably needed here to protect specifically buyers, but most women who participate in the market emphasize that you should trust your provider before you buy from them in the meantime. If you're in the unique position of being able to enter the market as a seller, you definitely have options, but also you can always keep in mind that in addition to selling, there are also several options for donating unused breast milk locally as well. So you take your life into your own hands if you Google what are the most popular items on the black market. I do not recommend it. (laughs) Uh, Breast milk obviously is on these lists, but uh, an interesting one is Japanese flight attendant uniforms. Specifically Japanese, huh? These uh, Japanese flight attendant uniforms apparently go for about $10,000. We could pull a lot of money, and then hear me out, we pull all of our money together, sell all of our assets to buy a Japanese flight attendant uniform. You'd look good in this. You must have a lot of poor friends if you need everyone to to pour all their assets into one bucket to get a $10,000 uniform. (laughs) Jay, what is your least favorite holiday food? So this is something that you might see people eat year-round, 
but it mainly rears its ugly head to you during the holidays. I'm just not really like a big uh, casserole guy in general. Um, I just kind of don't like the idea of taking a lot of random types of food and sort of putting them all together into one thing. Okay, well, that's fair. Mine is without a doubt deviled eggs like even just saying the words <laughs> deviled eggs it conjures up this like feeling of aggression in me that i just don't feel very often they're so gross like just conceptually you think about the concept of like what it is it's like doesn't make any sense that you'd want to put that all in your body at the same time and i like eggs in general like you know scrambled eggs over easy eggs i saw a really funny meme about deviled eggs uh last month for thanksgiving and it was uh, one guy saying to the other hey do you want to eat 12 boiled eggs and the guy was like, no way. He's like, well, what if I cut them open and I put some uh, may- mayonnaise, mustard, and seasoning in them? And the guy's like, yeah. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. It's just. <laughs> and that's what devil is. It's eggs awful. Are, yes. Well, anyway, it shocked me, Jay, this past Thanksgiving last month to hear so many people in my life tell me that they don't like turkey, of all things. Turkey is not only the staple main course dish for Thanksgiving. It's often the prominent main course dish in many families' Christmas or Christmas Eve dinners. Turkey and ham and all the fixins, that's how you make a holiday meal. I mean, how can someone not love turkey? Well, Jay, one of the reasons that many people may dislike turkey, at least one of the reasons that seems to make the most sense to me, is because cooking a turkey isn't exactly easy. I mean, we all remember the dinner scene in Christmas Vacation, right? Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. Well, if you, like so many other Americans, struggle to nail down the proper strategy to cook your holiday bird, the major food company Butterball wants to help. Jay, since 1981, Butterball has operated a call service called the Turkey Talk Line that exists purely to answer your turkey-related questions. Growing from a home office and a small team of six in 81, the Turkey Talk Line now has grown to more than 50 employees in 2021, (laughs) handling thousands and thousands of turkey-related calls, texts, and emails year-round. In fact, the Talk Line typically takes over 10,000 calls on both Thanksgiving and over the Christmas holiday and is just as interesting as it is random. So who are these people behind the service that are paid to literally talk turkey? Well, for starters, talk line operators need at least a four-year degree in a food-related field to be considered for the gig. And landing a job on the turkey talk line is tough. Openings at the talk line are never formally advertised. It's the ultimate you-have-to-know-somebody type of work. And once these folks get hired... They rarely leave. Many of the TalkLine employees have been at the company for more than a decade. It's not a job where people really leave, TalkLine supervisor Janice Stahl told Patch.com. We may hire one person a year. And these turkey experts, Jay, are are just that, experts. Once hired on, TalkLine employees must complete Butterball University. While enrolled as students at the ball, each freshman employee learns how to properly cook a turkey regardless of method. By the time they graduate, employees should have the knowledge to talk a caller through more than a dozen different methods of preparing that bird. Calls on the hotline can last anywhere from 45 seconds to 45 minutes and often get personal 
quick because TalkLine employees pride themselves on being among the best of the best in customer service, the calls often take on a life of their own. We're kind of like a confession hotline, said Stahl. We'll get the husband on one line, and then the wife will call in on the other, because there's been a dispute about what temperature the oven should be. One year, a new bride called the hotline in a panic. She was nervous about cooking for her now in-laws and couldn't tell whether the turkey was done. The people on the line could barely hear her whispering in the phone, and so they asked her, why, why are you speaking so softly? She replied, I'm hiding in the hallway closet. <laughs> At the end of the day, though, Jay, employees of the talk line view it as more of a calling than a job. They delay their own holiday celebrations so that they can be accessible for people like you and I. They even go so far as to commit to typically having soup for lunch each day so that their throats are always in tip-top shape and they're ready to perform for you. If you or any of our Commute Listening family need assistance from the turkey team for your Christmas or any other holiday meal preparation, feel free to give them a quick call. 1-800-BUTTERBALL. <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's going to be 1-800-TURKEY, isn't it? But then I realized it doesn't <laughs> add up. But, you know, I could never imagine being so desperate like I, that I've, I've, I have no way of answering the question that I'm like, I'm going to call Butterball. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw that thing on the table. It's not gonna be done. It's not gonna be right. But you know what? We're all going down with this ship. I'm too proud. I'm not calling Butterball. And that's it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.